You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I've not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. He will go on to write in Ephesians, I want you to know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of Christ. I am convinced that what it looked like for the church of Ephesus and any church to lose their first love, they don't love one another like they used to. Jesus said that the world will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. It's a love for others that comes when we follow Christ and we see people the way that He sees them. But what happens when we lose that love? Pastor Danny today will discuss what it means to love people like Jesus does and what it means to lose that, just like the Ephesians did. God is calling us today, just as He called the church of Ephesus so long ago, to come back to God's value and to care for the people of the world. He wants us to love each other. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Living Word. Revelation chapter 2. John the Apostle has been exiled to the island of Patmos. Uh, Domitian, who was ruling at the time, uh, tried to have John killed by boiling him in a vat of oil. Uh, God did a miracle. That's at least what the story, how the story goes. And uh, John miraculously survived. And so Domitian, not knowing what to do, said, I'll get rid of this guy somehow and he banished him to the island of Patmos. Patmos was in that day what we had a few years ago in America called Alcatraz. Alcatraz, uh, San Francisco Bay Area, not a functioning prison today, but in the day, uh, it was the place where we sent our most notorious criminals because of the security there that even if you were able to get out of there and you got to swim through shark-infested water and probably wouldn't make it, like I mentioned the other week, unless you're Clint Eastwood. (laughs) Alcatraz, Patmos, John is there, and uh, on the island, in the midst of his suffering there, he receives a revelation from an angel from God of this book of the Revelation. Uh, Beginning in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, there are seven letters to seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They were not the only churches uh, in that day, but they were the largest and the most influential churches of the day. And the seven messages to these seven churches are meant to be for the church age. Remember the outline of the book, 
right? What you have seen, what is now, that's the church age. Chapter four, trumpet brings John up to heaven. I believe that's the rapture. And then after that, it's after the church age, the great tribulation period, which we'll get into when we get into it. But we need to pay attention to the messages in every one of these seven letters to these seven churches because they are messages for the church until Jesus comes. The first, verse one, chapter two, to the angel, the messenger, many believe the pastor of the church in Ephesus write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the leaders of the seven churches. And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Those are the churches. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. So right away, the church at Ephesus is commended. Tremendous recommendation. The word for hard work is a word that described a farmer working in the heat of the day, all day long, and at the end of the day, he's absolutely exhausted. The church had been going for about 40 years at this point, which makes me think of my years of pastoral ministry, 34, almost 35 now, a lot of hard work from a lot of people. This new work, a lot of hard work for a lot of people. Thank God for perseverance. And this church is commended for its perseverance through a lot of hard work. Great commendation. Verse two or verse three. You've persevered and have been heart, endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now pause just for a minute. I know I'm snailing my way through this section, but pause there, put a marker there and go back to Acts chapter 19. Because Acts chapter 19, I want to just read a section of the record of the birth of the church of Ephesus. Chapter 19, verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue in Ephesus, spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, publicly maligned the way. Christians were called people of the way before they were called Christians because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul a, a voice in the area, a voice not only for the gospel, a voice for teaching the word of God. They were a well-taught people, a well-taught church. He spent about three years, more than just about anywhere else he went, with this church, teaching them, well-taught. When you read on in the chapter, you find that um, there was revival. People that were involved in sorcery came and brought their sorcery books. And you read, for example, verse 19 of chapter 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together, burned them publicly, publicly. That took some guts. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Drachma was a, an average day's wages. 50,000 times an average day's wages. That's a, that's a book burning. 
It was a public testimony. We've repented. We're not believing this stuff anymore. We're not doing this anymore. And then a riot breaks out. Because one of the things that, that the revival uh, did in Ephesus is it called, caused people who are worshiping the great god, goddess Artemis. They now stop worshiping her. So they're getting rid of their sorcery scrolls. They're getting rid of their idols. Well, the people selling these idols didn't like it, so a riot breaks out. Here's the point. Here's the point. Ephesus, great revival with great opposition. And the commendation, the commendation here in Revelation 2 by Jesus to this church, your hard work, your perseverance, you're a well-taught church, you've recognized false doctrine, you've said no to false apostles, and you persevered and endured hardships for my name. They're not ashamed of the name of Jesus and what it costs them. They come publicly and say, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're following Jesus. And so great commendation. Now, if the message by Jesus to the church of Ephesus had stopped there, you'd, be, you'd, you'd walk away from that. You'd be, Man, don't you feel good? But it doesn't stop there. Verse 4, Revelation chapter 2. Yet, ooh, you don't like that. Yet. Yet, I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Now, we're going to read some letters to some of the churches. Two out of the seven have sexual sin in the church. Those are messages for the church in America today. That's not the subject matter today, so you're probably going, well, thank God. <laughs> and if you want to strategically try to plan the next few Sundays, which Sunday you want to skip, you can do that. While this is not dealing with anything like sexual sin, idolatry, because there's great commendation here. Your perseverance, your hard work, you're well taught, you recognize false doctrine, you're not ashamed to publicly profess Jesus Christ, even in the midst of all kind of opposition, yet I hold this against you. And it's serious because look, you've forsaken your first love, repent. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Exclamation point, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What that means practically is the testimony that you have had as a church for Jesus Christ, you will no longer have. They would continue their meetings, continue their, their operation, but they would lose their testimony. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which... I also hate Jesus says. Uh, Nikos means to conquer or subdue. Laos means people. And so to conquer the people, it appears that what had happened in the church, and we've seen it in history, is the clergy uh, kind of set themselves up above the people. There was the clergy, they're the holy ones, and there's the people. If that ever happens in a church, that church has missed something. Different calling but equal footing at the cross. I love the way John opens in chapter one. We looked at it last week. I'm your brother and companion. I'm not above you. I'm not beneath you. I'm your brother. I'm your companion. I say to you, I'm your brother, your companion. I have a calling as a pastor, but 
No clergy laity. We're one in Christ. And then he ends it this way. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That could be a separate message because outside Ephesus, there was this grove and they began to call this grove paradisus, paradise. Rightly so in the sense that Ephesus, it was a great place to live. It was the largest, most sophisticated of any city in Asia Minor at the time. Elaborate design, lavish decoration, famous, had temples, had schools of philosophy, uh, schools of learning, gymnasiums, theatrical performances. Years ago, when we did the Footsteps of Paul tour, one of the stops was ancient Ephesus. I mean, just the ruins tell you it was a great city in the day. Great place to live. They named that grove where people would go and picnic and party. Paradise. And just a little reminder to John, any paradise in this world will not last. You want to overcome and experience the eternal paradise. But the main point, the main message, yet I hold this against you, you've forsaken your first love. What is that? What does that look like? I've heard preachers and they preach good messages on you're not, you're not passionate for Jesus like you used to be. Man, you can preach a message like that and you can get people to walk down an aisle and repent and say, I've committed my life to Jesus once again. And, and, and that's not that that's not part, I think, of losing your first love, but, but I think that's too simplified. What does it mean? Now, let's think about it deeply here and scripturally. It's not a doctrinal issue. We know that because this is a well-taught church. They recognized false doctrine and they rejected it. They recognized false apostles. So it's not a doctrinal thing. It's not like the church of Galatia that got away from the truth of the gospel and Paul writes that stinging letter and says, who has bewitched you? So it's not doctrinal. They got right doctrine. I know from the words here, it's not a lack of zeal. They haven't lost their zeal. They're not half-hearted because he says, you persevered and you have not grown weary. You're still on fire for the Lord. You're still zealous for the Lord. It is not a failure to be willing to publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We know that's not the issue. You have, verse 3, persevered and endured hardships for my name. That's a commendation. So it's not doctrinal. It's not a lack of zeal. It's not that you're a Christian that's not willing to stand up for Christ. I think one of the key clues, a lot of key clues, you find in a letter that the apostle wrote to the church of Ephesus about five to seven years after God used him to plant the church, to birth the church, the book of Ephesians. So you go to Ephesians, and I think right in the first chapter, tremendous clue. What does it look like to leave your first, forsake your first love? As a church, chapter one, Ephesians, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. 
He will go on to write in Ephesians, I want you to know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of Christ. I am convinced that what it looked like for the church of Ephesus and any church to lose their first love, they don't love one another like they used to. Now, again, a little bit of historical background I think will be helpful. Uh, Ephesus was the main seaport of Asia Minor. As a result, it was uh, very multi-ethnic. There were Egyptians, Romans, Persians, Syrians, Jews, and mutts. Very multi-ethnic. It, it had great social diversity. Anybody ever see any kind of diversity that uh, causes problems between people? Maybe not right away. Someone asked a group of religious leaders how many people it took in their church to change a light bulb. For the Pentecostal, it took 10. One to change the bulb and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. The Presbyterian, none. Because lights go on and off at predestined times. Episcopalian, it took three. One to call the electrician, one to mix the drinks, and one to talk about how much better the old bulb was. <laughs> Methodist, it was undetermined because whether your light is bright, dull, or completely out, you're loved. Nazarene, it took one woman to change the bulb and five men to review the church lighting policy. <laughs> Lutherans, none. Lutherans don't believe in change. For the Amish, the Amish, what's a light bulb? <laughs> but my background, my background now, and listen, my background in the Christian, we know how to fight. And we know how to change a light bulb. But in the Baptist church, it took at least 15. One to change the bulb, three committees to approve the change, and decide who's going to bring the potato salad and the fried chicken. And if I had to do over again, I wouldn't even use that illustration. <laughs> Forgetting those things which are behind. Losing your first love. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes these words. Verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. That dividing wall was a literal wall in Jerusalem at the temple. And they had a sign there that any Gentile that ventured beyond that wall where only Jews, circumcised Jews were allowed, did so at the cost of their life. Greatest barrier, biblically, was between Jew and Gentile. Here's a Jew coming in, plants the church in Ephesus, and you've got this multi-ethnic, multi-social diversity, and that becomes a challenge. When God is trying to change the heart of leaders in the early church, like Peter, in regard to loving one another despite the diversity now in the church, 
Jew and Gentile meant to now be one in Christ. That was a great practical challenge. Remember when in Acts chapter 10, Peter gets the sheet let down from heaven, all kinds of unclean animals, and the message is, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, never, never been unkosher in my life. I'm not going to start now. And of course, God's trying to teach him a lesson. And third time he gets the vision, then these men show up, inviting him to an uncircumcised Gentile centurion named Cornelius. Peter gets to Cornelius' house, enters the house. It's filled with uncircumcised Gentiles. Here's what Peter says. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. It is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. I don't know if you've ever thought and realized that when Peter obeyed God and walked into Cornelius' house filled with a bunch of uncircumcised Gentiles, not only was that a tremendous step in his personal growth in Christ, to now not look at an uncircumcised Gentile as he is holier than them. The level playing field at the cross, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, black, white, yellow, red, doesn't matter. But when Peter did that, not only was that, was that a tremendous step of faith and growth for him personally, he broke the law. He broke the law. When he gets back to Jerusalem, members of the church criticized him because they had already heard what he did. You went into the home of a bunch of uncircumcised people? What was God doing to try to deal with Peter in terms of the prejudice that had been born in his heart, and he grew up that kind of culture and that kind of mentality. And even though now he's committed and a follower of Jesus Christ, it's still there. And if the love of Jesus Christ is ever going to shine through Peter as a leader of the early church, he's going to have to repent. He's going to have to realize I'm not more holy than them because I'm Jewish. I'm not more holy than them because I'm circumcised. Because it doesn't matter my race. It doesn't matter my social status. It doesn't matter those things. It matters that Christ is now the center of my life. And in the church, there is no place for racism. There's no place for prejudice. There's no place for social class. You've left your first love. They had maintained their doctrinal accuracy, their zeal for truth, their ability to endure hardships for the name of Jesus, but they had lost something so vital for their testimony to the world. They lost love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not by your right doctrine, as important as that is. Not by your perseverance, as important as that is. By your love. 
Now here's what I want to ask because I, you have to, you have to, I think you have to really know in order for us not to go there or if we are there, get out of there. You've been listening to The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Sometimes life circumstances hit hard and they can leave us wondering where God is. But rest assured, the Lord never leaves or forsakes. As we study the book of Revelation, it's full of evidence of the Lord's faithfulness. Though the world often looks dark, Jesus brings so much light. Trust in Him. Are you facing an unexpected or frustrating situation today? There's strength in lifting one another up in prayer, and we would be honored to do that for you. Send us an email at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. Would you also pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and our ideas second. His guidance is what we need. Would you pray that we would recognize His voice always? Thanks for praying. If you live in or near the St. Petersburg area and you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to be that space for you. Check out ccfstpete.church for the latest service times or to find out how you can join us online if you're not in the area. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Revelation right here on The Living Word.